The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show, broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Think of it as your fortnightly film treat. We have trawled the screens for the hits and flops, so you don't have to. Also think of that as doing your homework for you. Winter is well and truly here, so hibernation is the theme, so we've added plenty for the small screen as well as the big. I'm Emma Marchant, hosting alongside the lovely Lorcan O'Neill. Hello. And here to chat film on this Saturday are the team of excellent reviewers, resident Marvel expert Stuart Pask. Hello. Resident Nick Cage expert Mark Walsh. Hello. And resident glamour puss and Hallmark expert, so about to enter the most wonderful time of her year, Ashley Whitaker. Hi. <laughs> right, we've got loads to cover, so let's get on. Later we're going to take a look at David Fincher's latest The Killer. Netflix's attempt to take on Big Pharma and the opioid crisis, Pain Hustlers, and Nicolas Cage as a star of everyone's nighttime musings and dream scenario. Added to this are Annette Benning and Jodie Foster in real-life story of marathon swimmer Diana Nyad, a British take on the sun, sex and sangria holiday and how not to have sex, raunchy female body buddy comedy Bottoms, and romance on a different level in Fingernails. But first, let's crack on with the latest instalment in the Marvel Universe and the, rever- the return of Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel in the imaginative titled The Marvels, which comes, which release comes at a time when there are cracks appearing in the once invincible studio's Iron Man armour. Accusations of too much TV content dilating the franchise, huge questions over Jonathan Major's future as Kang and corporate infighting, not to mention a lack of promotion due to the SAG AFRA strike, means that Nia DaCosta's follow-up to 2019's Captain Marvel is coming out with fears of underperformance before it's even opened. But let's take a listen to the trailer. Carol Danvers, prodigal child of the Milky Way. Nick Fury. My favorite one-eyed man of intrigue. How goes it out there? Uh, you know, cold, no air, space. Captain Marvel. The Annihilator. You took everything from me. And now I'm returning the favor. The Marvel Cinematic Universe's 33rd feature, not to mention a slew of TV shows, as Emma has alluded to, brings together Brie Larson, Tayona Paris and Iman Vellani, collectively known as The Marvels, following their solo projects via their various films and TV shows. After the events of Captain Marvel, Karen da- Carol Danvers gets her powers entangled with those of teenager Kamala Khan and her best friend's daughter, Monica Rambeau, to take on the latest threat to the universe. A lengthy pre-production that underwent several changes in concept, this was originally supposed to be Captain Marvel 2, uh, and then plagued by multiple reshoots and poor test screenings, the finished product finally hit screens yesterday. Stu, as the resident uh, Marvel aficionado, <laughs> does the film work? I actually think that despite all of the sort of sort of the controversy and the rumours and the stories that come out during production um, of, of this particular instalment of the MCU, I think it's actually fared quite well. I think enjoy, uh, audiences, fans of the MCU, will enjoy this. It is by no means the best of... Um, the this, this series. It's probably a lot better than Ant-Man Quantumania. It's probably not as good as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but it is a good film in its own right, and, it, and I think it's earned its place in the MCU. Um, I have to say that Brie Larson and Tiana Paris's um, sort of performances in this film are somewhat overshadowed by Ayman Vellani's Kamala Khan, who really, really steals the show in this movie. Um, she is absolutely charming to watch. Um, her character, um, fresh off the 
TV series, um, one of the which we just, just talked about is possibly over-diluting the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it's actually, I think she's um, come out on top as far as, far as uh, the sort of doubters would go. Um, and I look forward to seeing more of her on the big screens. Um, but yeah, Brie Larson um, comes back as Captain Marvel and she's she's very good in her own right. Um, she does an a, a interesting performance. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a musical sequence and I'll say no more than that so as to avoid spoilers. But um, yeah, it, I think it's, it's great fun. I think it, the, the visual effects uh, are good compared to some of the more recent outings from Marvel. So they've obviously been listening to the feedback, the reshoots and, uh, and, and going back to their visual effects designers um, has obviously paid off, I think. Um, and and Teona Paris is, is also set up for, for more involvement in the universe in across the multiverse forms that we expect. So I was not disappointed as a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Mark, uh, you've got um, Captain Marvel in the movie, WandaVision the TV show, and Miss Marvel. That's kind of the least you have to watch to get like an a, a introduction to these characters. Um, would you be lost if you, were, if you didn't do your homework, or how did you find it? I don't think you'd be lost, but I do think there's a case now where you're going to enjoy all of these things more if you're watching all of them. There are a few moments in the film which tie into that wider Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, one of which was given away in the trailer that was released this week. Uh, but ultimately, it, it, it becomes this large family of characters and of actors that are involved in these things. Uh, and some of those payoff moments come because you are happy to see these members of the family coming back. Uh, and consequently, if you're not keeping up with everything, I think I've reached a point where I watched one episode of Secret Invasion, didn't really fancy going any further, was slightly worried coming into this because it's Nick Fury appearing in that and then appearing hearing in, in this as well. Was I going to know what was going on? I, I, unless something dramatic happened off screen, I, I think I was fine. And generally, yeah, I, I, I get a good feeling. I, I think, ultimately, I think Nia DaCosta has succeeded in setting out to make something which is just fun. It, it, yeah, and that's what these movies should be, ultimately. A bit of darkness is nice, but yeah, uh, some some unrestricted fun, and I don't think you have to be an absolute Marvel nut to to really get the most from it. I have to say as well, I agree fully that the, the, the family aspect behind this film really, really sort of makes it come into its own. You actually feel emotionally invested in the characters. It's not just... Um, it, it's not just for the sake of creating another bridge, although there are elements of that, into the ongoing MCU project, wherever that may take us in light of various allegations at certain actors. <laughs> well, all exciting stuff to come. Uh, Emma, you... Um you mentioned director that's directed by Nia DaCosta, who previously worked on the Candyman remake. Um, she has publicly said that this is not her film, that this is Kevin, a Kevin Feehy production, uh, and there's even rumours that she was leaving post-production to work on another film before it was even finished. Um, I find with Marvel films, it's very rare that there's kind of like a director's touch. Did you, did you feel like this had any kind of personal made, personality to it? I very much made that note, like director for hire. We've talked about this previously, haven't we? Like Guardians of the Galaxy is very much a gay James Gunn film, and the Thor films are very much... Um, Taika Waititi, well, the, the second two, two film films are very much Taika Waititi's films. But other than that, there does feel like this generic, you know, you don't, you know, since the Russo brothers left, you know, since Endgame, which was such perfection, there has been, you know, they, they have struggled, I think, Marvel, to find their, to find that, that, 
glowing power that they have for 10 years. And I'm sorry, Mark and Stu, but this did not do it for me. I feel very, I feel a bit differently. I haven't seen Miss Marvel. I loved WandaVision. I do feel that the Marvel TV shows have been a bit of a sort of ever-decreasing circle for me since WandaVision, which I thought was awesome. So I have seen WandaVision. I have seen Miss Marvel. Sorry, Captain Marvel. Um, I haven't watched Secret Invasion. I hadn't seen Miss Marvel. The, the leads in this are delightful. All three of them, I, I didn't think that Iman Vellani particularly out, out, outshone Brie Larson, who I find a really warm screen presence. And Tiona Paris, it was great to see her as well. And the three of them worked really well. I thought the problem was in the direction and the scripting and the story. It felt like they just stuck them places, had them running around. Every fight scene just... To see, I, might, I mean, obviously, the, the premise is that they keep morphing into each other's bodies. So, obviously, that is confusing itself anyway. Every time their powers come, they swap where they are. But they just would... I thought, personally, really badly choreographed. They didn't make any sense. The story just... It, I just... I felt sorry for those three strong actresses who I thought were wasted in, in something that... It doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that, Steve. It doesn't surprise me that maybe there were... There was beef between the director and the producers because it didn't feel like a labour of love or like a coherent film between all the, you know, they didn't feel like all the pieces fitted together for me, which was a shame. There were, there were a couple of really good, really good scenes in it. That, that you know, the, the scene where she ends up with her, you, you know, on, on the planet with the, the singing planet, and I won't say more than that, was wonderful. And it was, and it was a bit, you know, maybe not long enough. Same with the, um, they're not called furlings, are they, Mark? Are they, Stu, what are they called? Oh, no, you're asking me. Flurkins. Thank you. No, yeah, you yeah. called me out. <laughs> there are some, there are a couple of really sweet set pieces in it. It doesn't overstay its welcome either. It's a pretty brisk running time for a Marvel film. I think the- one hour 48 or something, which is quite unusual, which which is we, we do appreciate. But no, it just, it left me cold and I thought it didn't live up to the skills of its three leads, which is a shame. Yeah, I would always say it is the briskest Marvel movie so far uh, by seven minutes, I think. And yeah, I would say if you did enjoy Iman Vellani's performance in this, do go back and watch Miss Marvel. Uh, yeah, the whole family setup that's worked for in those six episodes uh, is one of the better Marvel TV series and worth catching up with. Well, I can imagine as well because again, I got slightly frustrated with this because I thought her family were dealt a fair, the, the actors playing her family were also dealt a fairly, sh- you know, fairly short straw because they just got to sort of stand around and sort of just be overwhelmed when she arrived back at certain points in time and it, which be, and they looked like a lot of fun dynamic there. And it does seem a little bit of one division was wasted because the the most you sort of see from WandaVision, perhaps because it was so long ago now, was sort of a throwaway remark rather than any sort of real storytelling elements brought along besides um, Tiona Paris's character. So maybe they could have lent a bit more on that for a bit more um, substance, I don't know, but um, seems a shame. Well, mixed mixed reviews. Mark says it's a fun romp, uh, but maybe some pieces don't quite fit together. And Stu is pleased as that this is the next <laughs> chapter leading into ever yet more Marvel fun. Uh, the Marvels is a certificate twelve A and is playing at the View and the Light. Uh, now we're shifting to streaming with Apple TV Plus's new surreal relationship drama, Fingernails. All I needed was a love you gave. Have you guys taken the test? Yeah, three years ago. We're positive. Felt like a weight had been lifted. I founded this institute to take the risk out of love. No more uncertainty, no more wondering if you've chosen the right partner, no more divorce. We were the first to build the machines to conduct the test to make the bond of love stronger. I really want to work here. A lot of famous people study there. Really? Like who? Ginger Spice. She's my favorite. 
Jesse Buckley stars in this magic realism drama where the world has shifted towards loneliness following the creation of The Test, a painful ordeal where you can discover whether you and your partner are compatible by having a fingernail liberated from your body. Anna, happily partnered with Ryan, played by the formidable Jeremy Allen White of The Bear fame, uh, she starts work at a clinic working on building up people's relationships to prep them for the test uh, while falling for her colleague Amir, played by Riz Ahmed, uh, and calling in question, into question the entire validity of this test. Ash, I'll start with you. Because um, I think you, I think you enjoyed this for the most part. Uh, were you engaged by the turmoil of this love triangle? I was. It's slow and it's quiet. But when you've got someone like Jesse Buckley, the master, being the slow, quiet one, and cutesy Riz just fawning over her, I was totally on board with what was happening between them. And you invested. Did you? Did you? Did you want? Did you get the outcome you wanted from this? I did. I know some other people thought the ending was <laughs> trash. Yeah. But that's because it. What for me, the whole film, the test is the allegory for the societal constraints of marriage in general, and what people think they're looking for versus what they want. And the final line, I think, delivered by Riz is it's the the use of the word love encapsulate the whole thing. The director was trying to say with the film, I think, and it was just perfectly dropped, and in a very sweet kind of relaxed home setting nothing big and grand and that's what he was trying to say the whole way through I think well yeah the director started off I think his first credit was second assistant director on Dogtooth and this film reminded me a lot of The Lobster The um, Lobster yeah it's, it's oh, the same thing like a really poor <laughs> version <laughs> yeah. of The Lobster if Lobster's main lobster there's more New York Lobster um <laughs> Mark, did he? Uh, how, how do you think? Do you think this was aiming for the sim- similar type of uh, thing that Yorgos Lanthimos does, and how does it compare to that kind of film? Uh, I think it is. I think this this feels Lanthimos light, but I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Um, I did actually enjoy this, and it's it's got a different feel, different pace to it. As Ashley said, you know, it's it's a it's a slower film, but it, I think probably gets to to invest more in that relationship dynamic between Jesse Buckley and Riz Ahmed uh, in a way that maybe some of Yorgos Lanthimos' films, as much as I absolutely adore them, doesn't always serve its its characters quite as well. It's more about the the, the moments and the and the the the, the jaw dropping uh, audacity of his of his film sometimes. Where this this did feel more like a relationship drama. But there's there are some some really nice uh, elements to this. I love the the sort of retro tech of the machine that's being involved in it. I I really felt it had a a feeling as well of the society in which we live and so many people are involved in internet dating and that pressure you feel to try and understand whether you sort of match with someone before you're with them. Yeah, there, there were a lot of themes running through this that I resonated with. Uh, great performances. I wish I'd seen more Annie Murphy, uh, you know, uh, from uh, Schitt's Creek, of course. Oh, I see. Uh, Alexis, but uh, yeah, uh, great to see her as well. Uh, you know, I, I had, a, I had a, re- a really great time with this. Probably, perversely, I am fascinated by a scene where people uh, are required to remove their own fingernails with a uh, pair of plies. <laughs> repeatedly and often yes um, Emma the, the films like this tend to they, they tend to play place in a certain world and the characters tend to fit around that world whereas this I found it a bit of a juxtaposition between I don't think the world and the way the characters operate in the world were quite in sync how did you find the, the kind of world building the atmosphere the film generates I wasn't even really sure about I, I wasn't sure about Really, very much of this film at all. I wasn't sure about the design. I wasn't sure about the world building. Like you said, I was. I, you know, it's a very, very somber-looking film. It's, it's really quite drab. It's not colourful, and so from that point of view, 
it reminded me of actually there was a TV show that came out during COVID on Amazon Separate. called Soulmates. No, oh. Soul also Soulmates, which was basically a six-part Amazon thing, which had lots of starry people in it at the time. I think it was made, being made during COVID, and it was a similar thing where they were meant to take this love test. So to me, it felt like a kind of it didn't feel particularly original from that point of view because this is a story that I felt I've seen in Black Mirror episodes and also in that entire Amazon. So like you say, they they said it in this sort of present day yet like Mark alluded to, there is this weird kind of 70s vibe going on in the um, in the, in the in Institute the of Love itself. And I didn't really feel like any of these people fitted in there. I thought out of the three of them, probably Riz Ahmed to me got the best of, of, of a bad yeah bad bunch, a bad piece of writing. Anyone who manages to make Jeremy Allen White, white you know, i.e. Carmi from the Bear, this dull and this uncharismatic. I know that's kind of the point because you're meant to think they're in this really comfortable relationship, but, oh, come on, you're working with Jesse Buckley, Jeremy Allen White and Ms. Armour, give it. I, I was so bored by this film and that's, I didn't even notice Annie Murphy, Mark. That's how bored I was. She was Riz Ahmed's girlfriend, right? Uh, she was, yeah. Didn't even see it. Was it blinking? Maybe I, maybe I snoozed through that point. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think... It, I, I could see what it was trying to do, and it's an interesting premise, but I just think it didn't take you anywhere emotionally to justify the premise behind it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Riz Ahmed's the one who understood the, the, the kind of assignment here. Everyone else is kind of doing their, doing their own thing. Um you, you mentioned the kind of severance and soulmates that Apple TV Plus seems to be going on this kind of dystopian, green-filtered, drab look. How do, overall, how do we think this fits in like the canon of stuff like Severance and The Servant? And Is it better or worse? I liked, because again, I like the homely, down feel of it. And they picked, really nicely picked just a few songs, not an overblown like soundtrack. But kind of Severance is a bit too glam and glitzy even for what they're trying to do mm. um soulmates really starry white teethed hair extensioned people um i liked this a lot and it did give me the kind of the dystopian vibe of what are we doing here guys we need to rethink the way we revere certain relationships over others because we're heading towards this it had a little handmaid's taily bit mm. for me in that we're worried about the sanctity of marriage and kind of the types of relationships we think are the best and people should do them for their whole lives and yeah. that's the wrong way to go about this. Well, uh, Fingernails is a certificate 15 and streaming on Apple TV Plus if you want to have a go at a dystopian, distasteful, romantic <laughs> triangle, whatever it was going for. So many options. Uh, right, let's go back to the cinema for yesterday's other big release and we will check in with the dreamy Nicolas Cage. Why does the zebra look the way it does? So embarrassing. Hey! Focus. Is this how it went? No, it's different now. Oh! You've been on my mind recently. Yeah? Because you keep popping up in my dreams. You don't do anything, you're just there. So, this specific person, the remarkable nobody, I'm also gonna have that experience. Do you have a picture? Have you been dreaming about me? Have I been dreaming about you? Yeah. There's like a hundred messages. Somebody wants to interview me. This is strange. Maybe you should take a minute and think before you do anything drastic. So, Norwegian director Christopher, Christopher Borgli has come with this absurdist fantasy horror. I'm saying horror. I haven't seen it. I'm saying that questioningly, but that's how it's described. Nick Cage plays schlubby everyman Paul Matthews, who starts to pop up in millions of people's dreams around the world. At first, his fame appeals to him, but things then take a sinister and darker turn. Mark, I 
am embarrassed to admit that I only, when I started doing research, research, research for today's um, for today's show, realised that this is Christopher Borgley who made Sick of Myself, which is one of my favourite films I've seen the last year. How does he cope with this kind of bigger, starrier vehicle with you know such a leading man as Nick Cage? I think he copes very well, uh, and yeah, it's this wonderful thing about Nicolas Cage's career. This film almost feels like a metaphor for Cage's career, uh, in that Nicolas Cage just seems to pop up in almost every film, just occasionally wandering around and, and not doing much. Uh, and yeah, this is then his appearance in these dreams. But you know, I, it, it has a, again another different flavour, another different texture to, to some of the better films that have been in Cage's better over in the past few years. There's the likes of Pig and, and the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. You know, I do hear people saying that they, they're not, they don't believe that Nicolas Cage makes good films anymore, and I think that's nonsense. I think he's still making them regularly. He's just making poor films with with a much greater frequency. So you do go into something like this with a trepidation that you know is this going to be you know Cage. Or, on quality and I think you know it's it's well directed uh, you know I, I was very interested with where it went script wise and you know it is a it is a, a good committed Nicolas Cage performance so it's it's ticking all of my boxes Right, I was going to ask. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, I was going to ask how it fits in with the very meta sort of cage that was in the unbearable weight of massive talent. He, you know, he did, it, I always kind of like to end up thinking about being. I know being John Malkovich is nothing like this, but I can't help but think of it. So it feels like being Nick Cage is everything at all times. Um, Lorcan, if you're not a Nicolas Cage fan, and mm. there are some people out there who are not, I believe, not Matthew Taylor, obviously. Our co, our, our very, very good co. He may just be Nicolas Cage. Very sad he can be here to do point. it. But if you're not a Nicolas Cage fan, but let's say like me you absolutely adored sick of myself mm. would you would you find you know what is this what is this film I would say if you're not a Nicolas Cage fan before watching this you probably will be afterwards I agree with Mark where I don't think Nicolas Cage really knows what he wants his persona to be uh, it got it got to the point where he was being memed a lot and then he commented on that he says I don't want to be a meme I want to be an actor but then he does stuff like unbearable weight of massive talent which was very memeable on purpose um, but I much prefer when he's not self-referential he I think his he, he says his own style is he um he wishes people acted the way they did in silent movies, where it's a lot of face and motion, and that's basically his style kind of diluted down. And then this is him coming out of the woodwork. Once every three years, he'll come along and give one of the best performances in like three or four years, um, similar to Pig, where he just you think it's going to be one thing, and, and not Nicolas Cage just acting everyone out of the room for an hour and a half. This is very similar. So this is... I didn't know anything about this going, going in. I went to see it at a festival in Spain a few weeks ago. And I thought it was just going to be a comedy. It is absolutely terrifying in moments to the point where I didn't, I wasn't anticipating it, and I was freaking out. And it does a very good job of putting you in the mindset of, you know, uh, these people who are forced to have, you know, this very boring, absolute non-entity of a character exist uh, existing within their space. Uh, and there's a very we spoke on the last show about old dads being how not to do an angry kind of complaining about modern generations type of thing it's, you, you don't just have a character talk about all the things they don't like this is very very clever and very subtle in how it takes all the things of modern culture that these filmmakers clearly don't like encapsulating it in a very clever story that tackles all these different things there's my favorite scene in the mo in the movie is by far the um, CBT scene which is cognitive behavior therapy which is you know a lot of people suffer from anxiety nowadays and the, uh, the, the most commonly referred to remedy is CBT and there's a whole scene scene kind of wrapping that up uh, in a nutshell and how people react to it and why it fails why it doesn't work and it's also hilarious while they're giving you all this commentary it's absolutely fantastic 
Okay, and Mark, is it something that you would say we should watch, should people should be watching at the cinema? Is this a big screen film? Uh, I think in the, the sense of the dream sequences, you know, they are... Uh, you can make the same criticism that people made of, of Christopher Nolan's Inception, that it's not necessarily how people dream, but it, it has a consistent feel across the film. You know, I, I could believe that pe- that's how some people would believe that they're sort of remembering their dreams. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, those sequences are well-constructed and actually, you know, you do get more of a sense of of what you get sometimes from a dream when you awaken, you know, that, that feeling of either euphoria or terror, uh, you know, particularly when, you know, the, the, there's one in particular uh, where one of his... Uh, daughters has a has a dream and then you know that 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 did quite take me aback and even though it's not a, a big visual moment i think being in that room in that presence that darkness actually does you know help get you into f- feeling what what the character is feeling at that point um it's also a very funny film mm. and i would say that they are always better seen in cinemas because you are you are going to laugh along with everyone else yeah, you've got a shared experience yeah and and there were there were a lot of people laughing at the this the screening i saw uh, last weekend so yeah that alone means it's worth going to the the big screen for do you think there will be awards buzz around nicholas cage's performance well i see i i I feel you said that when you saw it in spain because i saw in spain kind of before any marketing came out i thought it was gonna be a lot longer before this film came out and i I went then i came out i was like oh nicholas cage has definitely got to he's got to be nominated he's his performance is incredible everyone like his wife is such a perfect springboard for nicholas cage in this film where she's not she's playing it straight but she knows how to kind of bounce back from his performance, uh, it's very clever. Uh, the music, uh, oh, Owen Pallet, I believe, is the guy. He do, he does. He's a he's a pop musician, but he occasionally does. He comes out of the woodwork once every ten or so years. He did the soundtrack to her, and he's and the soundtrack to this is beautiful. And the the credit song is um, uh, absolute beauty. They couldn't have chosen a better end credit song. Um, but uh, Ari Aster produced it as well, which is worth noting. And I think Ari Aster, who's also very subversive about modern culture, him and uh, Christoph Borgli seem to be a match made in heaven. And I very much hope they do more work together. Because uh, if, but at the same time, you know, it's it's kind of been dropped. There's not a lot of marketing behind it. The UK poster is atrocious. It looks like. Family Man 2 or some nonsense. It reminds me of the Weatherman poster yes, yeah, and everyone yeah, yeah. hates that film, but I loved it. It was just so poorly marketed. Yeah, and it's the same with this. So I, I'm worried it's been market, mismarketed to death, unfortunately. Well, that is well, that is a change because I also feel that probably sick of myself. I mean, okay, it's a foreign language film as well, but that was something that probably you know not a lot of people saw. That I wouldn't think it wasn't brilliantly well, marketed they, they, even as a that's festival. That's the thing. Darling. The only way they could figure out the market that was through uh, Worst Person in the World because it was the same producers. That's I think yeah. that's the well, only it was Norwegian, way. Well, it's Norwegian, wasn't it? Yeah, we've seen <laughs> they are very different films, both excellent but very different. Yeah, you're right. So it would be a shame, and particularly now, as I suppose, as the strike ends, we're going to be bombarded, right, with. Um, all kinds of, of, of post-dated, you know, press, if you like, or, you know, you know, from stuff that's been done yeah. already. So we'll see what happens. But that is Dream Scenario, highly recommended from both Lorcan and Mark. It opened this Friday at all the, all the Cambridge cinemas and it is a certificate 15. But don't expect a rip-roaring comedy. It's funny, but there is also some scary bits in it. Uh, right, on to the ads. Cambridge 105 Radio. The soldier who stands on top of the Cambridge Cenotaph is looking towards the station, waiting for his colleagues who are never to return home. On Sunday, Cambridge remembers those who have fallen in two world wars and other conflicts around the world. We'll bring you coverage of the parade, a short multi-faith service and the traditional two-minute silence. Remembrance Sunday Live, Sunday at 10 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. 
tired of long waiting lists to see a dentist? As a private clinic, Dentistry and More can book you an appointment when it's convenient to you. We believe dental physics should be a pleasant experience. Our relaxing and welcoming clinic is in the centre of Trumpington, right next to the Clay Farm Centre and Sainsbury's. Our team comprises highly experienced dental specialists who are dedicated to delivering the highest standard of care using the latest dental equipment to provide efficient and painless treatments. We offer a 10% discount for NHS workers and we have additional hygienist appointments available on Saturdays. Find out more at dentistryandmore.co.uk. You are listening to the Cambridge Film Show here on Cambridge 105 Radio and our lovely reviewers, Ash, Stu, Mark and Lorcan, are about halfway through this week's offerings. We've still got five more to go. But we are on a social media push here at, at the Cambridge Film Show. So over to Stu, our newly minted social media manager. Yes, we've been um, somewhat slack in our, in our social media presence and self-promotion of the show um, since we've been back on air. But we do have some social media channels which you can follow us on. Um, on Instagram, you can find us on Cambridge Film Show, where we'll be trying to put some more content, some more photos from us in the studio. Uh, and over on uh, Facebook and Twitter, or X as they insist we call it now, um, we have the Cambridge Film Show on Facebook. Facebook and Cambridge underscore films on Twitter. So if you would like to feedback to any of the shows you've listened to or let us know of any of the films, your thoughts of any of the films we've talked about, then please do get in touch with us there and uh, we'll be looking forward to your likes, subscribes and follows. Don't forget, of course, all of our shows are available as podcasts on all popular podcast platforms after we broadcast. Thank you very much, Stu. All feedback's good feedback. So, next, David Fincher is back, along with Michael Fassbender in The Killer. Let's take a listen. I find music a useful distraction. A focused tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. length follow-up to Mank, Fincher has chosen the much-visited, cinematically at least, world of contract killers. Michael Fassbender plays a nameless hitman, hitman who, after a hit in Paris goes wrong, is forced to make a continent-wide trip to take out those who hired him before he becomes the victim. Uh, Mark, let's come. Let's start with you. I think it's you, me, and Lorcan on this one. Um, this is a Fincher film. It, like I said, Mank was a sort of bio, was, was was a biopic, and also in black and white. It didn't sort of feel like it's such a typical Fincher film, Mank, to me. But this made me think more, perhaps, of Mindhunters. His his, you know, which I did love. The the, the too soon cancelled show on Netflix. Um, teamed up with Fassbender, I believe, for the first time. What did you What did you make of this? Did you think this was just consummate Fincher? Uh, I, I think it's got some Fincherian elements, shall we say. Uh, I, I didn't find this was top-tier Fincher for me. Uh, you know, I am, I'm a massive fan of the likes of Seven and uh, Fight Club, Gone Girl. Um, and yeah, he's, he's put some incredible work in and, and has a very distinctive style. I don't think that style necessarily quite came through 
uh, everywhere in this film. I think uh, there were bits of it that for me just felt a little bit pedestrian. Uh, yeah, in particular the opening sequence, which is trying to uh, give you this feeling of this ice cool hitman, and it is maybe too cool if you can have such a thing. Uh, you know, I, I, it didn't really start to engage me until until you know getting through about halfway through the film. It very much to me feels like it's Fincher's own version of a Bond movie. You know, it's globetrotting, has that uh, that standoffish uh, killer, uh, you know, who has to try and remain detached but doesn't quite work. And, you know, I, I, I could quite easily see, you know, if Fincher had made a, a film for the Broccolis, this is the kind of thing it would look like. I don't were, think the Broccolis would have been very happy with it, though I can't see this being an audience pleaser. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, and actually, you know, there, there is so much baggage that comes with Bond these days, it's nice to have something that doesn't have that attachment. The the, the highlights for me are um, uh, Tilda Swinton and uh, uh, Salah Baker, I think it is, who are, are two of the people sent to hunt him down. One massive fight sequence, uh, which makes the fight in the bathroom in Mission Impossible... Uh, um, the the sixth one just looked like people lightly slapping each other around <laughs> uh, and uh, and then you know sat at a table with Tilda Swinton while she drinks a tasting flight of whiskies I mean I wish I could have been sat across that table frankly so th- those were highlight moments for me um, I, I just wish it had all coalesced into something more compelling I think I love the bit when he sees Tilda Swinton and says yeah she was described that she looked like a Q-tip and they went <laughs> wrong which that uh, that in itself that piece of script was awesome Lorcan yes. um you like you 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 came you, you know we always have a chat online beforehand and you have come on to say you would be the voice really so you you really enjoyed this right yes yeah very much so okay so can you tell me why please because I'm kind of falling into Mark's camp I just thought it was a little bit too cool for school it felt a little bit like I didn't think so much of Bond I thought of the American mm. you know the one where basically George Clooney goes and assembles a gun for like two hours in an <laughs> Italian village but um with a bit more action but um yeah what what did you love about this well there, I it took me ages I didn't watch it. I, I, Admittedly, shamefully, I didn't watch it till it came on Netflix yesterday, um, because uh, I knew lots of people that went to see it, and everyone said it's, it's just a very kind of mediocre film. Some people said they liked the Fincherness of it, uh, but I, I just couldn't believe that Fincher would make something not interesting and subversive. And I might be wrong in my interpretation, but I think I think a lot of the film is very funny. If you if you're kind of vibing with it, I think what he's done is he's taken. Basically, as the film, it's, it's very sleek and methodical, and all this kind of it's all this very lots of clever shots and lots of atmosphere. But then, as the film goes on, Michael Fassbender's character keeps making mistakes, and I got I, I started thinking, why, why does he keep making mistakes? And I think the film's a comedy about an inept killer, <laughs> but he's filmed it like it's this genius kind of Jason Bourne type thing. So he keeps making mistakes, and I just, I just started laughing by the end because he's just, I honestly think. This is all just like kind of a joke because he makes so many fundamental errors and he keeps paying for the repercussions. The big fight that Mark mentions, he wins by a fluke. It's this, and the reason he has this method is because he's not very good. He basically admits himself that he's just like an average Joe who just found a system that kind of worked for him sometimes. That's really interesting, actually, and I think the last shot, which I did enjoy greatly, yes. the very, very last shot would probably suggest that. And I won't spoil it, but yeah, I think I. And you're giving me fresh eyes on this, um, Mark. I really, what I did enjoy about this, I, it, it's told in chapters. Every, you know, there's a chapter, and, and every at the beginning of every chapter, he's going somewhere. He has to go from um, Paris to Florida to um, to the Dominican Republic, then to New Orleans. It is like you said, it's like a travel or very bondy that way. Um, but I loved, I did really enjoy the scenes where he's going through the airport as a different person every time. And I think that Fassbender is brilliant casting for an everyman. Would you agree? 
Uh, I would. I also enjoyed those airport scenes. Uh, I won't spoil any of them, but if you just look at the names on his fake IDs, uh, they are all uh, themed and fantastic. Mm. Uh, yeah, and it's it's those little details I think that that you know, often can elevate a film. Um, you know, Fincher is is so much about the detail and so much of the work he does. You know, uh, almost procedural in that sense. Um, but again, I I just I, I wish. That that it had slightly more energy at certain points. Uh, yeah, there, there's the the opening scene when when the initial hit goes wrong and he's then escaping uh, on his little moped thing across Paris, um, and it felt just so sub Jason Bourne. Um, I kind of take your point about it being you know the 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 fact he's, he's comedically inept. But he kind of then wasn't inept enough in that moment for me. It didn't swing one way or the other. Uh, and I think that's why I was it just didn't quite engage my interest until until later in the film. I think yeah, like you say, I think I think there is a there is a certain thing with David, you know, he is so procedural, he's so meticulous, and that can sometimes take you out from being emotionally connected to a film. And I think that was my I, I understand obviously that you're meant to be somewhat removed. And also some of the, the violence in it is quite is quite shocking. I do you know, there are there are some he he times some kills really, really well, I think, mm. to be quite shocking and quite to to remind you that this is actually not just a charming doofus and I, I will, <laughs> in a bucket hat, but I will, he is a killer. I, I will quickly mention as well the entire soundtrack. Well Atticus Ross and uh, the other fellow who's oh, Trent Reznor Trent Reznor oh. um, they, they do the soundtrack but the majority of the soundtrack is the Smiths which also leads into my theory that Michael Fassman is not a very interesting <laughs> person because surely no one likes the Smiths that much but so if, if you do have a low tolerance for the Smiths like me you will uh, you will have to suffer and I can only imagine that's a cruel joke from David Fincher that is this is very true right the, that was um, sorry that is the killer it was in cinemas it's now on Netflix it's certificate 15 and it's yeah I, I'd say Particularly if you're a Fincher fan, then yeah, you, you you should complete your Fincher homework by watching this. And if you're a Fassbender fan as well, it's it, it's got some good stuff, and Lorcan loved it. Sticking with Netflix for our next choice, we will have the trailer for Nyad. Listen to this. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Don't you want to be fully awake? Your soul ignited by a purpose. Oh God. Oh, I'm serious. That again. Diana Nyad, world champion marathon swimmer. The swim I want to do is 60 hours. That's Cuba to Florida. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. no. That's insane. Diana, you tried that when you were 28 and you did not make it when you're 28. You're 60. I don't believe in imposed limitations. The only one who gets to decide if I'm through is me. That was a little bit of Nyad, the story of Diana Nyad, American marathon swimmer who decided to come back from her retirement and swim to Cuba to Florida, a feat never before completed when in her 60s. Annette Benning makes a welcome re- return to my screen, at least, as Diana Nyad and Jodie Foster, so we can all get super excited about True Detective 4 next year, plays her best friend and handler, Bonnie Stoll. Mark, this... Again, I found this out while I was doing my research. It was directed by the husband and wife team, Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vasaheli, who were behind Free Solo and The Rescue, both obviously real-life sort of peril stories. This is a mix of documentary footage and obviously cinematic footage, footage starring Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. Did that work for you? In a, you know, did, did you get a sense of peril and, and drama from this? 
Uh, I did, uh, and I, I think actually the approach they've taken that yeah, it, it takes the best aspects of the work they've done on those previous films, uh, but it also has this this ticking clock element, and it's so strange when you manage to have a, a ticking clock which is counting in years. You know, we followed Diana through her various attempts as she's come into later life, and you know the, that real sense that actually there is no guarantee of success in this. There's nothing worse than seeing a true story film and feeling that the outcome is utterly predetermined. And I didn't get that sense with this. I, I, I was actually feeling that, that you know, there's every possibility that, that it was going to be a heroic, epic failure uh, or, equally, going to be a rousing success. You know, it, it did you know, keep me nicely guessing. I think what really strikes me as the success is that, that um, uh, the, the directors have moved from these uh, genuine documentaries into something where they are having to direct performances and they get two such fantastic performances from Annette Benning and Jodie Foster who have this superb on-screen chemistry. I want to go around their house and just spend time with them based it, on this film. It is magical. And actually, I'm going to say they get a third really. I think Reece Siffins in this. I wasn't sure when I saw Reece Siffins pop up as the sort of hardened American, but, but you know, the, the guy who runs the boat for them. And I was like, oh, Reece Siffins, I'm not sure. But I think he actually, I actually forgot it was Reece Siffins. If you like, I think it was a really good and yeah. committed performance. And I think what they do really well is they don't, they don't, over-egg the kind of emotional pudding. You know, there is there is a history of abuse here. Diana Nyad was abused by her swimming coach as a, you know, as a teenager and that kind of thing. But I think they deal with that very delicately, but also yeah. very very well it, 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 you know that, that's another level to this story and, and what she has been through to get to where you know to where they are these two amazing you know um, older women and what a treat for these actresses as well I imagine when this script lands on your on your doorstep to, to get this because you know we talk about it we hark on about it a lot there's not a lot of place for women in their 60s in Hollywood so you know, but obviously there always will be for Jodie Foster. I, yeah, I, like you say, I really liked it, Mark. I was concerned a little bit. I, I didn't, I didn't think she wasn't going to do it because I couldn't quite believe that that it wouldn't happen. But and so at the same time, it, it, it's a little bit like oh, it fails. But I think when they the, the, the shots underwater are also really beautiful. It's really beautifully filmed. Yeah, I mean there there, there are so many elements, particularly in the moments when she's hallucinating, uh, and that actually that gives them a chance to go off in an almost uh, kind of Disney on acid style uh, of of you know seeing what her experience is like. Uh, so you know it, it is a, it is a very well directed film. You know the, to make that transition to having something is so cinematically visual and getting good performances from actors when you haven't necessarily directed actors before. I think, I think hats off to the two of them. I think I would just say about Annette Benning's performance as well, it's that gift of taking a character who is by her nature unsympathetic. She's so focused and so driven. Yeah, so selfish, really. So uh, Absolutely selfish and makes no secret of it, even when people call her out on it. She just carries on the same way. Which is similar, I guess, to the free solo to, uh, to Alex... I can never remember Alex Honor, the, you know the, the climber in free solo yeah. because to be this kind of solo sports person you have to come with a certain yes but in this case she can't do it alone she has to be in the water on her own but with a team surrounding her at every move and that team have to be on board with what she's doing uh, and it's the, the gift of the, the script that you believe that these people are willing to put up with her because they buy into her goal so much and eventually are won over more than anything by, by Jodie Foster's charisma Jodie Foster is, 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 is just a beating heart of this film and I think everyone I know who's watched it it's come as a bit you know it sort of dropped on it was in the cinemas but not for very long it's dropped on Netflix and everyone I've seen it has really enjoyed it so I do think Seek Out Nyad it's on Netflix it's a significant 15 over to Lorcan for our, for our for how to have sex I'm so sorry I <laughs> yes now, now we're going on a trip with the girls and how to have sex what's your name? Tara I've not noticed it before, but you're proper beautiful. 
you two are two of my best mates. Gang, gang, gang. No one cares if you're a virgin, it's very chill. So why are you bringing it up then? Hi, we're gonna play a game. Director Molly Manning, Manning Walker brings us a coming-of-age story as three girls visit a holiday destination for a riotous round of drinking, clubbing, and hooking up. Led by Mia McKenna-Bruce, a star of Netflix show The Witcher, uh, and also a terrifying-looking Christmas romp that, uh, called Last Train to Christmas that I'm not even sure Ash will have heard of. Um, Mark, uh, I haven't seen this. Uh, what's, what's the kind of aim of the film, and does it, does it succeed? I think the aim is to really explore that uh, that peer pressure culture that, that uh, young people can get trapped into when they're you know, uh, sort of you know, moving through life and relationships, and uh, you know how easy it is for someone to uh, find themselves trapped in a particular situation. Uh, and you know, so so consequently, uh, Molly Manning Walker's uh, you know, script and direction are just a, a slow burn, a slow build into this situation, which which Tara, played by the wonderful Mia McKenna Grace, finds herself in. Uh, and you know, it, it has a feeling almost of sort of, you know, the in-betweeners movie at the beginning, mm. uh, you know, uh, you know these youngsters out clubbing uh, you know, trying to get you in that mindset and then and then just gradually uh, Monty Manning Walker just twists the dial and creates this sense of unease and this this sense of feeling trapped this desperation uh, and this complete empathy you feel for, for Tara's character that, you know, she's, she's going through that experience so many young people do of wanting to fit in, wanting to be able to tick boxes and say she's, she's done things as a young person but actually realising maybe but they're not what she wants and realising a little bit too late. Uh, you know, I think a, a lot of people, you know, both at that age and who've been through that similar experience themselves will empathise with this a lot. Um, were you kind of on the edge of your seat? I've heard it's quite a taut, almost like a thriller almost. Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, there, there are some moments that are really unsettling and uh, yeah, I did find myself just sort of slinking slowly to my seat and you know, it's that, that horrible cringe when you know that something bad is going to happen and you physically can't do anything about it. And, you know, it's, it's the sign of, of good craft when, when that is done so well. You know, it's, it's, it's again, I think it's not a, a long film. It's only an hour and a half. Um, you know, it's, it's perfectly pitched in that sense. Uh, and, you know, it's... Uh, it, it's got you know, a selection of, of wonderful performances that, that have a subtlety to them that's maybe not obvious if you watch something like the trailer. And what was it, what was it like? You said you kind of slinking in your seat. What was it like watching it with an audience? Would you recommend kind of going to the cinema to see this or even kind of hiding under your pillow in the, on the sofa? Um, no, I think, I think again, this is, this is one you know, worth seeing because you, you almost get that sort of collective feeling of support from us in the cinema that, you know, that, that she's having to go through this and you know, it, it does lend itself to that, that you know, post-film discussion in the pub of you know, quite how much I think you know, this is a, a film that so many of us will empathise with. Cool. Uh, well, How to Have Sex is Certificate 15 and it's playing at the Arts Picture House. So for our penultimate film, let's take a look at what Emily Blunt and Chris Evans are pushing. I will not give up on myself. I will not give up on my dreams. I will make my life count. You're going to get through this. It's who you are. I will make my life count. Only two years of high school. Well, I left to pursue a career in sales. Cut call, what is that, like steak knives? Yeah, um, it was other kinds of knives, too. Mm -hmm. Give me a shot, please. Don't embarrass me. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Oh. Oh, it's... Pleasure is mine. It's commissions that get you into paradise. Get a doctor to prescribe your drug. 
You know, we bill on a full dose script. What? 40 grand. A year? A month. Possibly Netflix's starriest release this month. This David Yates-helmed movie tells the story of Liza Drake, a scrappy single mother, is there any other type, played by Emily Blunt, who after meeting Chris Evans' pre- Pete Brenner, whilst working at a strip club, of course, takes a job, takes his job offer at a failing pharma company in central Florida. Selling pain med suits her and personal and professional wealth are rockets, but at what cost? Law, no, Ash, because we haven't come to you much. Um, we put this in. It's been out on Netflix for a couple of weeks, but like I say, it's, you know, these are big names that are in it. Emily Blunt, Chris Evans, Andy Garcia, directed by David Yates, who I presume is just having to fill time before they decide <laughs> what's actually happening with the Fantastic Beasts franchise. I don't know. Um, it, but it, it also comes out at a time, we've talked about this before, Dope Sick, Painkillers, Demon Copperhead, um... There was something else as well. Like, like well, maybe like he'll he'll be easy, whatever. It's we're back on this op. You know, this is another angry film about the opioid crisis in America. Did it tread a different path for you? No, um, <laughs> it's the same story. Um, it's Aaron Brockovich, but less good. So it's, but it's kind of got a hallmarky weekend afternoony vibe to it. And I think with stories as important as this, you want to get them down the throats of as many people as possible in the hopes of affecting some kind of change. So this is extremely palatable, mm. very light, easy breezy, despite it being, it's dealing with the, the murder of lots of people at the hands of the government's running of their entire medical system. Um, it's it, it was very light. Emily Blunt's very good and she knows how to do very light, accessible, here, hi, here I am. Even Catherine O'Hara, who can be kooky and weird, too much if she wants to be delivered this as kind of just the right side of annoying mother it's it's nice I, I I must say I messaged to everybody and I said I thought that Emily Blunt was about a thousand times better utilised than this than she was in Oppenheimer it's obviously oh, a yeah. very different film but you know she at least seemed to get the memo and I think that David Yates directed mm. her and Chris Evans really well Lorcan it's it's kind of this is based on a true story um, and, and I think that probably the most fun is had by Andy Garcia who is playing yes. the a, a sort of thinly veiled um caricature of the somewhat bonkers owner of this of yeah. this of this Floridian company um it also it doesn't it hasn't got the same anger like we said that we saw in dope sick or even painkillers in it there's no there's no real focus on the victims here you don't really see the people you know at the end of the chain we're on that we're, we're firmly in the middle here mm. it's not the part it's not it's not purdue it's the guys in the middle who are also pretty you know pretty poor and pretty scrabbly but you know can make money by by you know charming doctors yeah what did you yeah, do you think, was it not angry enough? Was it too palatable? Well, I, yeah, I perceived palatable, because I, I thought the film was going to do something very clever, because you get David David Yates, who's very kind of safe and open shots and lots of colours, and then you get Emily Blunt and Chris Evans, two universally, for the most part, loved actors being very palatable characters. I thought at some point, I was hoping at some point, it would do a switch, and you'd find out that everything we've been told was a lie, and they, they were all just doing it for the money for the whole time, because in reality, chances are they probably were. And I found it distasteful how much sympathy we're supposed to have for Emily Blunt and she even says at one point it's like oh you know I was yeah I'm I'm a bad person because I kept saying at every stage like maybe we shouldn't do this maybe we shouldn't do that but yeah but you still did it you're you are still playing this character who did all these awful things so yeah far too palatable far too clean uh, not angry enough, uh, not realistic enough, uh, and it's I I just very confused as to why there's a two two plus hour film trying to sympathise these characters. It's just very confusing. It reminded me most of that 
film about the pyramid scre- ski- scheme where people were selling leggings. Like, it, it was pitched at that level. And like, no, millions of people died yeah. in this pyramid scheme and they're still dying. This, yeah. and, and it, it it's was a tragedy. as scary it's a as tragedy. the legging sale documentary. I have no idea of this legging sale no. documentary you talk of, but I think it's it sounds series. spectacular. Yeah. Mark, you didn't want to watch this particularly, and then you did this morning. You were like, I like to be a completist for the show, but you gave it your worst score of the week. Well, it's it's also that I'm a big fan of both Chris Evans and, and Emily Blunt, so, you know, I felt it was a duty, and Andy Garcia as well. I mean, he's not a fan of Andy Garcia, frankly. Yeah, and he probably was one of the better things in the film. You know, it's it's just so meh. There's no energy to it. There's no... Yeah, as as we say, there's no real you know critique of what was going on. Yeah, I just I didn't really buy a single moment of it as being uh, anything that actually happened in real life. Um, and it's a shame because I know that pretty much everyone involved is probably capable of better. Okay, well, I think then we're going to safely say uh, watch Dope Sick instead. Do not bother with Pain, pain Hustlers, which is what I say for every opioid thing that comes out. Right, we are on to the last film. So, uh, yeah, we're going back to his comedies. I think we can probably skip the trailer for this yeah. one. Um, uh, so, from the director of The Delightful Shiva Baby and starring that film's lead, uh, Bottoms tells the story of queer high school besties PJ and Josie who start a fight club to lose the virginity before graduation. Mark, you've seen this one. Um, a fight club to lose the virginity. So, I haven't seen this one, so can you break that one down for me? Uh, yeah, this is, uh, I think, trying to subvert those high school comedies that we all know and love. Uh, and I think, by and large, it does a reasonably successful job of it. The idea that these two girls are, are really using this to try and uh, actually meet uh, other women and, mm. uh, and to lose their virginity. And then it all escalates in the way that these films so often do. Uh, I was a big fan of Shiva Baby. I thought it was uh, fantastic. I, I wouldn't say this is quite as good. My only critique of this film would be that, that over the, the end credits you get uh, a fair amount of outtakes uh, and mm. those outtakes are giving me the impression that a lot of the dialogue is actually maybe originally scripted but then improvised and they've taken some of the best takes. Mm. And what this doesn't have which I associate with pretty much all of the great high school comedies is those absolute zingers those one-liners those great bits of dialogue yeah the setup's great i did laugh as did a few other people in the cinema um it just didn't quite come alight in the way i was hoping okay uh ash you've also seen this uh it sounds very similar to american pie kind of vibe is this like a deliberate queer kind of take on that same premise i think so i really like that i the comedy didn't quite land for me and i didn't quite understand a lot of what was going on because this isn't for me now i've had my time i I had mean girls Mm. you had the breakfast club mark and this is the next generation and i loved it i love where they're going with it just such openly queer funny like rude dirty brash girls and we just don't get enough of them i absolutely adored this as a next generation of tween female-led films something that i didn't like about Booksmart was that it's uh, trying to it's trying to overcome certain stereotypes like the the, the the gay characters are trying to overcome stereotypes but in doing so it ends up just falling completely mm-hmm. down that rabbit hole does it fall to the same trap or is it kind of a fresh take on young queer characters i found it completely fresh because i just did not know so often what was going on and should i be laughing or is that are they actually taking the mick there or are they being deliberately uh, like divisive and i just wasn't really sure so i think they're de- they're pitched perfectly well for their core audience which is not me and i'm so happy to just let them run away with that yes can i ask one question i have also not seen this but it's obviously ado idabiri from the bear beloved sydney from the bear surely she's like 28 years old or 30 surely she plays so well in the bear i'd put her in her late 20s career girl she can go against that head chef no chef every single time she wants in this she is so realistic 
as a child at school. She's incredible. She is 28 years old. So, okay, oh. but, but, she, but she passes well, does she? She passes. So this is an original film. We want people to go to the cinema to see this. What kind of what kind of similar films? Because obviously stuff like this kind of hard to market. What similar films would you say to people to kind of get them to go see this? It's a dirty Mean Girls, I think. Yeah, it is, and I, I think to the point of, of it, considering whether or not the, you know, the, we've seen things like this before. I'm not sure a film like this would have made, made even five years ago. And I think no, you know no. a, a, a positive sign of, of uh, you know progress in society. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, it just maybe um, you know more about what it is rather than actually uh, using that as an opportunity for you know maybe some of the comedy could have been pushed a little bit yeah. further in some cases. It is a bit storyline light, but they know what they're doing, and this is just the vehicle to get this message across for this group of people. They can do this better next time and I hope they keep making films like this. Cool. Well, Bottoms is a certificate 15, a nice fresh comedy for you all as playing at The View and The Arts. Sadly, that's all the time we have for today. Please join us in a fortnight when we'll be going back to The Hunger Games to see how it all began. Eli Roth finally gives us uh, that Thanksgiving horror we've been waiting for and Ridley Scott brings us another historical epic with epic with Napoleon. Till then, it's goodbye from our reviewers. Bye. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Cambridge 105 Radio.